Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing? You all all right? So good to be here this morning. My name is Ali. I'm one of the pastors here at Gastry, and I'm so pleased that we are continuing with our series, Let This Holy Temple Glow. It's been really good so far, so looking forward to continuing. Welcome online as well if you're joining us online today. Now, my mum didn't, literally didn't need to say anything else. My mum is uh, in her 70s. I'm sure she won't mind me sharing that with you. Uh, But she's quite up to date with the latest technology. And she has an Apple Watch. Good response. I don't have an Apple Watch, but she has an Apple Watch. And it's one of those Apple Watches that kind of, you know, tracks your steps and encourages you to exercise, you know, checks out if you've been sitting down too long and all those kind of things. But I'm so glad she's got it because it is... Amazing. I have discovered that it is watching over her physical health. This time last year, my mum and dad went for a walk in a, a country lane, and uh, they, my mum managed to trip over some kind of rock or stone or something. And as she fell, she grabbed hold of my dad and managed to pull him over as well. And they found themselves actually quite bruised and battered. They are fine. But they were bruised and battered, lying in some nettles by the side of the road. Oh, so sad. So sad. But at that moment, her watch pinged. And in a sort of bewildered state, she looked down and it said, you appear to have had a bad fall. Shall I send for help? It's amazing. How cool is that? I just thought this is a brilliant thing. But then I discovered it's not just her physical health that this watch is looking after. Because last week, my mum was chatting with her friend Angie, and they were talking about this series. They were talking about the Holy Temple and being in the presence. What does it mean to be in the presence? How do you know if you're in the presence of God? And her watch pinged again. And she looked down and it said, do you want to experience the presence of God? It's amazing, incredible. Get an Apple Watch, guys. There are other versions available out there as well. I'm not going to tell you what it said. You'll have to speak to her later. But whatever Apple thinks, here at Gastro, we have been looking at this idea of the holy temple, looking at the idea of the presence of God, what it might mean for us to live in the presence of God and live with him as the temple. And a couple of weeks ago, Tim was speaking to us and he did it kind of, he went big. He did the whole sweep of scripture from Genesis when God is present with us to Revelation when God will be present with us. And he talks about a God who walks to and fro with us. You might remember the Hebrew word hithalek, God walking to and fro alongside us. And last week, Tebo was looking at Solomon's temple, this incredible temple that was filled with the glory of God and how the fire came down from heaven and how it burnt up the sacrifices and filled the temple with this glory. And what that might mean for us living out our Christian lives today. Well, I just want to give you a little picture of what it sometimes feels like in the Christian life. Just bear with me one second. Well, sometimes, who loves a sparkler? 
come on. They're brilliant, aren't they, on dark November nights. But sometimes we have experienced the presence of God and it feels good, it is beautiful, it is glorious, it is sparkly. We get up and down, we jump around to God's great dance floor, we listen to Tebo's sermons, we are fired up. It is amazing. But then what happens? Last week we were talking about the disappointments of a temple without the glory. A temple without the glory. What are we left with? Well, I've got a, a stick of dirty metal that's still hot, so it's quite dangerous. I'll just get rid of that. But what does it feel like when it looks like the glory is gone? What is it that makes the glory go? How about when circumstances threaten to overwhelm us? We don't know what's going on. You know, we have times of pain and loss and doubt and fear. So what do we do when times like that come? You know, because they will. Things that are going to cause you to say, what on earth is going on? Or more commonly, why? Why? Why is this happening? Well, we're going to have a little think about it today. And the clue to the talk is in the title I've given it, which is Take It to the Temple. Take it to the temple. And as I've been preparing the talk this week, I've had several times, big and small, when I have had to say to myself, Ali, just take it to the temple. Take it to the temple. So I need that reminder. So perhaps today you do too. And we're going to have a look at the lives of a couple of people, Hannah and David, who were people in the Bible who knew how to take it to the temple. And we're going to start with a psalm, Psalm 27, which was written by David. So you can look that up in your Bible. It'll come up on the screens as well. But with Psalm 27, Bible scholars think that David possibly wrote this in the years before he became king, when he was on the run for his life from King Saul, King Saul who was trying to murder him. Some other scholars think that David wrote this at a later stage of his life, when he was on the run from his son Absalom, who was threatening to kill him as well and had usurped his throne. But to be honest, it doesn't really matter which period of David's life this was written in, because... David was constantly under threat. You know, his life was full of periods of violence and battle and despair and family crisis and betrayal. And in fact, everything that seems like the opposite of the glory of the Lord. But this is what David wrote. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he'll hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. 
Now this temple, this tent, this house of God that David is writing about isn't the glorious temple of Solomon that we were hearing about last week because we've kind of taken a little step back chronologically. Instead, this is a slightly more solid version of the tent, the tabernacle that Moses had set up in the wilderness all those years before. And the tabernacle has been brought to an ancient city called Shiloh, which is the military, it's the religious centre of Israel at this time. And in fact, it was there for 369 years. So it is a tent, but it's a slightly more solid place. Now it's got doorposts, it's got doors that we hear about in some of the Psalms. But you know, it's a sanctuary. It's a sanctuary where people can come to worship God. It's where they can come to bring their sacrifice and it's where they can come to petition God. It is a reminder right in the middle of the city of God's presence with them. God in their midst. Now, would you just stick your hands in the air if you have got a set of keys in your pocket or in your bag? Okay, we're good. And um, how about if you've got a password on your phone? Hands in the air. And who wore a seatbelt the last time they were in a car? I'm so glad you all put your hand up for that one. I was checking, I was checking. You know, in the very way we live our lives with our, you know, our pensions and our travel insurance, we long to feel secure, to feel that we are protected in every way. The other thing, who's got facial recognition on their phone? This is nothing to do with the talk. But my phone has stopped recognising me first thing in the morning. Is that? So rude. So rude. We long to feel safe and secure, but deep down we know that we are vulnerable. Whatever we have in place, however much we plan and prepare, that we know that we are vulnerable to illness, to attack, to relational breakdown, to crisis. You know, life can feel fraught with danger even before we leave our home. And people, just so as you know, the most accidents happen in your home. And by the way, it's in your lounge. I looked it up from things falling on you. I mean, I don't know what you've got going on in your lounge. But next time you're settling down to watch Disney+, Plus, you look out for falling things in your lounge. Anyway, we come to David, shepherd, warrior, king. But you know, he knows vulnerability in a very real and constant way. Because when he talks in Psalm 27 about adversaries and battles and wars, he's not exaggerating. He's not kind of talking about it in a metaphysical way. Oh, my heart is at war within me. No, this is real. They are real adversaries, real battles and real war. You know, over the last decades in this country, for the most of us, for the most parts, we have been sheltered from war. Now, I'm aware that that is not the case for all of us in this room, but for the most part in this country, we have been pretty sheltered from the impacts of war. But in Remembrance Sunday, and uh, even more so as we've been watching these horrific scenes unfolding on our screens from Israel and from Gaza, even we, just looking through screens, have experienced that fear beginning to rise up and threaten to be overwhelming and overpowering. You know, I've heard quite a few people recently say to me, they just can't even watch the news at the moment. They just can't even watch it. It threatens to be overpowering. And sometimes we have this sort of belief that when we become a Christian, when the glory is sparkling away, that we are somehow exempt from difficult things. 
exempt from life being really hard. You know, we say about someone, well, they're an amazing Christian. They really love Jesus. Why has that happened to them? I don't understand. It doesn't seem fair. And we talk about being blessed and reassured and full of hope and life and those things are absolutely right. But with it, we can have this sort of idea that we can be wrapped up in some kind of spiritual cotton wool. But you know, we read in the Bible that that is just simply not true. It is simply not true. And I have had several conversations the last couple of weeks with people in this congregation about really difficult things that have been going on in their lives, in the lives of their family and their friends. You know, we're not exempt from it. You know, God doesn't promise us a kind of password-protected life. And we know it. We do know it. And yet we can get really thrown off course when we find ourselves in that vulnerable state again. We can feel like the glory has gone. So what do we do when things aren't going so well? Do we need to keep them quiet and hidden? You know, we come into this place and we're singing praise songs and worship songs. Are we supposed to hide it? You know, one of our values at Gastry is being real. It's being real. And it's that that stops us tipping into what we call toxic positivity. You know, that thing that everything is fine on the surface, but deep down there's this kind of storm raging inside. And when we think about the place of presence and we think about holy encounter, we are reminded that we get to bring all of ourselves. We don't have to bring just the happy, cleaned up, presentable parts, but we can bring the messy, tear-stained, confused, and frankly, bewildered and broken parts of ourselves into the presence of God. Back in July, um, my husband Nick and I were fortunate enough to go to America, take the kids there on a holiday, a bit of a road trip. And we started in New York, and we had about 24 hours in New York, looked at lots of things. But one of the things that we did was go to visit the Ground Zero Memorial. There's a picture of it here, which was, uh, as you know, a memorial to those who died in the Twin Towers at 9-11. And it's an, it's an amazing memorial. The water cascades down sort of a never-ending way into what looks like a kind of abyss. And the names of the 3,000 people who died are written around it. And each of us, the kids, uh, Nick and I, it, it kind of, it takes you back. We had a kind of really quiet moment and found it really moving. But part of the reason that we'd wanted to go there is because Nick and I had flown over New York the night before 9-11 happened. And we'd been part of a, a church team. We were going to minister in uh, some churches in North Carolina. And uh, we'd flown in the night before and then we'd woken up in the morning to this happening. And uh, we'd watched the second tower tumble to the ground, the clouds of ash going up. We'd been told that flights were cancelled for the foreseeable future. We don't know when we'd be able to fly out again. Uh, all the phone lines were cut. We couldn't ring anyone. We couldn't tell our families we were safe. We couldn't check if our friends were okay. We were, it was just surreal. That's the only way I can describe it. And we had a choice to make as a team in those moments, this little team. You know, we could have ignored the whole thing and just pretended it wasn't happening. We don't want to know about it. We're just going to kind of carry on. It doesn't matter. Or we could have got totally immersed in it. You know, it was on 24-7, on the screens and on the radio. It was going round and round the clips again and again. And in fact, after a few hours, psychiatrists started coming on the screens going, please turn off, turn off. You are re-traumatizing yourself. You are re-traumatizing the children because they think it's happening again and again. Stop immersing yourself in it. But the third choice we had was to take it to the temple. And that's what we decided to do. And we sat as this little group and we weren't pretending that it wasn't happening and we weren't saying we weren't scared, 
but we weren't immersing ourselves and our focus in it. We were focusing on God and we cried together and we sang, here I am to worship. And I have to say the words, light of the world, you step down to darkness have never meant more to me than in that moment. You know, it didn't change the situation. It didn't change what had happened, but it did change our hearts and our focus and our outlook The beautiful thing is that there is still a church there in North Carolina. They'll be worshiping today that they were planted out of that time, out of that time. And in that moment, we realize this truth that yes, we are wired for safety, for security, for sure. But it's not to find it in ourselves. It's not to find it in the world. It is to find it in him. And you know, when we think about David and all the things that he went through, the threats he came under, he had to keep making that choice again and again. But his choice was always to take it to the temple, to bring it into the presence of God. And that's why he's able to say in verse five of today's reading, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock or Psalm 20, may he send you help from the sanctuary or Psalm 18, from his temple. He heard my voice, my cry came before him into his ears or Psalm 28, hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help as I lift up my hands towards your most holy place. He's not pretending, he's not even trusting in his own capabilities, but he does know that he is expectant that God will be with him. He's expectant that God will hear his cry. You know, he knows that if God doesn't calm the storm around him, God is perfectly capable of calming the storm within him. You know, in this room, all of us are gonna have things that make us feel vulnerable things that make us feel out of control. It might be things that are really clear and obvious. It might be you've gone through loss or bereavement, or it might be a health struggle that you have at the moment. But there's going to be other storms that are a bit less visible, the ones that rage inside, the ones like anxiety and insecurity and frustration and offence at other people. And sometimes those storms are of our own making. You know, the things we do that actually cause damage to ourselves and damage to other people because we all carry this stuff to one degree or another. And when the storm's raging, we've got these three choices. One, to turn it inwards, turn it on ourselves, bring in the sort of self-accusation. I should have done that. It's totally my fault. I have got it wrong again. I'm a... Uh, you know, I'm an idiot. And the shame and the self-accusation just kind of pours on our heads and crushes us. The second choice is to turn it outwards, to blame and attack, to say it was their fault. They should have done that. Or why didn't they do that? It's completely down to them to start complaining and judging and gossiping and bad-mouthing other people. We turn it outwards and blame and attack. And the third choice, of course, is to turn it upwards, to take it to the temple, to bring it all the mess and the misery and the mistakes to God, to that place of God's presence. You know, that's what I want to encourage us to do today. If you take nothing else but take it to the temple home, just have that ringing in your ears, take it to the temple. And someone who knew how to do that in the Bible was Hannah. You can read her story in 1 Samuel, and I'm not going to retell her whole story now. But Hannah was a distressed and disappointed woman. She's not able to have children in that time and age. That meant that she was, in effect, worthless that infertility was a, was a really big deal. In fact, she's the fourth woman that we read about in the Bible. It's quite early on in the Bible that's struggling with infertility. So she's distressed, but she's also being bullied by her husband's other wife who does have children. She's bullied and mocked, 
So she is distressed and she is disappointed. And she has those choices how to respond. She could turn inwards, blame herself, her physical body, begin to believe that she's not worth as much as anyone else and begin then to act out of that place. Or she could turn outward, stop blaming her husband, stop blaming the other wife. Again, not helpful, but Hannah chooses to turn it upwards, to take it to the temple, to bring this prayer that is so real and so honest. And uh, she goes to the temple at Shiloh, the one that David has been writing about. And Eli the priest is sitting at the doorposts and she begins to pray. I'm just going to read this from 1 Samuel 1. It says this. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Pouring out my soul to the Lord. You know, her prayer is so real and raw that Eli thinks she's drunk. Not just a little bit tipsy, but ugly, tear-stained, drunk. It's really messy seeing someone in that state. It's not... It's not an attractive thing. It's not a good thing. And these are the words that are used about Hannah or she uses about herself in the first chapter. Deeply troubled, great anxiety, bitterly weeping, irritated, provoked, heart sad, not eating, deeply distressed, misery, vexation. These are horrible, overwhelming feelings. You might have experienced some of them yourself. And yet Hannah brings it and is pouring it out to the Lord. She just pours it all out. And as she does that, Everything changes for her. It's not that her circumstances change. It's not that everything is sorted in a moment, but her heart is changed. And it says, in that moment in the temple, Hannah was sad no longer. Can you picture the weight of all those words that have been on her all that time? And in that moment when she takes it to the temple, it's like they are lifted off her. She's sad no longer. Can you imagine the relief of going from that state to that state? Unbelievable. You know, she chooses to believe that God's in control whatever the outcome. And it changes her heart. And she goes on, if you know the story, to give birth to Samuel, who's the first in the line of all the prophets in the Bible. And she says this, I rejoice in my victory. There's no holy one like the Lord, no one beside you. There's no rock like our God and her pain turns to praise. It's an amazing story of God at work. And Nick, my husband and I have two older teenagers now. Um, but after our first child was born, I became pregnant again with our second. And at a, a scan, a sort of later on scan, the nurse used the words that no one wants to hear which is no heartbeat seen. No heartbeat seen. And it was like hope gone in a moment. And I know that that is an experience that several of us here have gone through. And I just want to say, if you have gone through that, if you are struggling right now, please come and talk to one of us because we'd love to connect you with um, the saying goodbye charity and get you the support that you need because lots of us have been through that experience. But the week before I'd had the scan, 
I'd been in a talk and the preacher had been preaching from Psalm 84. You might know it. It starts, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. And it's this beautiful psalm about the temple, about the presence of God and David loving being in there. But I had been particularly caught by these verses five and six that say this, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Now the valley of Baca, you may know, is the place of weeping. It's a valley of weeping. When they walk through this valley, the promise is that it will become a place of refreshing springs. And the day before I'd gone to the scan, I just had those verses. I couldn't get them out of my head. It's like they were going round and round and round. And I just kept thinking about them. I didn't really know why. But then when I had the scan, I just went back immediately to those verses. And it was like I was clinging on to the promises in them. And the next morning, I open up my Bible reading, I have like a daily Bible reading. And the verse for that day was Psalm 84, verse 6. Those who walk through the valley of weeping, it will be made a refreshing spring. And I wrote this in my diary. I'll just share this with you. I'm not through this valley yet. I feel numb still and raw. But the love and support of friends and family has been incredible. And God has shown his compassionate hand in so many small yet significant ways. I'm sure this won't be the last storm to break in my life, but I do know that God doesn't leave me alone in the middle of it. I do know he'll walk with me and carry me if necessary. I do know he'll bring me once again to the place of refreshing in his time. You know, I was right. It wasn't and it won't be the last storm to break in my life. There have been plenty since then, some of which I have dealt with better than others, truth be told. And yet in this case, when I decided to take it to the temple, I just found the grace and the mercy and the help and the comfort and his presence in a father who would just scoop me up in his arms and hold me. And yes, a way to turn it to praise again. So if we want to take it to the temple, here's just briefly how we do it. We turn up and we keep turning up. You know, when this stuff happens in our life, it's very easy to allow it to turn us away and just to stop coming to church, stop connecting with people, stop praying. But don't do that. Don't do that. Please, can I encourage you, turn up. Keep turning up. You know, Hannah's in this place of weeping so intense, it looks like she's drunk. She's totally out of control. And that is how it can feel when this stuff gets us. It's so tempting to hide away, but God is big enough to take it. Your mess, your misery, your mistakes, he can handle it. And to those of us who've been in tears this week, and you know who you are, the Bible doesn't tell us, come on, dry up your tears, on you go, keep going. It says something far more powerful. It says, I see you. I see you. When Hannah wept, God noticed. When David, it says, was worn out with groaning in Psalm 6, it says, for the Lord has heard my weeping. Psalm 56 says, he gathers your tears. He stores them in a bottle. We worship a God who sees and hears and cares. And even when you can't see a way through, he can, he can. Once upon a time, there was a house that caught fire. And it was nighttime, 
and the alarms went off and the family scrambled to get out of the house. But in the fear and the confusion and the chaos, the smallest child ran back inside the house and ran up the stairs. And while the front door was blazing, this little boy just appeared at the top, in, uh, the top floor, looking out of this window in this kind of smoke-filled haze. And his father stood outside and said, jump, son, I will catch you. And he said, but daddy, I, I can't even see you. And his father said, I know, son, but I can see you. I can see you. God sees you, he hears you, and he knows the way through. So turn up and keep turning up and talk it through with him. I don't know if there's anything theological about this, but say it out loud. Whatever it is, say it out loud. I found it so helpful for me, probably because I have a million thoughts swirling around my head at any time. When I say my prayers out loud, it's like I, I can articulate it. I can understand what's going on. I could be really clear with God. Ask him for wisdom. Ask him for guidance and ask him to act. Because that's what Hannah and David did. Hannah asks specifically for a male child because she wants to dedicate him to the Lord's service. And that was what it would need at the time. And David, when he's under attack, often asks, which city should I go to? When should I go? What should it look like? He's really specific. You know, Jesus says to people, what do you want me to do for you? Be specific. Say it out loud. If you need to ask, ask. If you need to confess, confess. You can pour it out to him. So keep turning up. Talk it through with him and trust him. Trust him. This is the magic with God. Trust because here's the key, we're only going to be able to be vulnerable or real or raw if we feel safe enough with God to do so. So here's the question, how do you see God? How do you see God? Is he part of the problem or is he part of the solution? Do you know that you are loved unconditionally as his child? Do you know that he sees you and he hears you and he cares? Because Hannah and David had that confidence. Psalm 13 says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. You know, of course, we've got the benefit that Hannah and David didn't have because we know Jesus Christ. We know Jesus Christ, the temple made flesh in our midst. And next week, Nick's going to continue this series and look a little bit more about what that means for Jesus to be the living temple. You know, Jesus, God walking with us, never turning away anyone who is vulnerable or hurting or broken or under threat. Jesus who himself weeps over the loss of a friend. Jesus who had the greatest storm of all break over his head and yet in his words and his actions always said to his father, I trust you. I trust you. So as much as we long for, as we plan for our own safety and security, we all live lives that are vulnerable. That's just how it is. But at the end of the day, our vulnerability can remind us again and again that we can't do this on our own. We can't do this on our own. But we can depend on God. And God is enough. So when we take it to the temple, we're going to discover how good and kind and sufficient and gracious and present God is. God in the midst of us, just as much as that temple in Shiloh, God is amongst us. You know that his faithfulness isn't based 
on your capability, your strength, your intelligence, your health, or even the good choices that you make. It is not based on anything apart from his love and his grace, nothing else. So as the Apostle Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. The band want to come on up. Do you want Christ's power to rest on you? Do you want to encounter God and be in his presence again? Do you want to be able to be vulnerable? Do you want to be able to be real with God and pour out your soul to him? Then can I encourage us to trust as we take it to the temple that we worship a God who sees us, who hears us and who's waiting with his arms wide open for you. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website gastric.org or follow us on Instagram at Gastric Church.